Most of you know that I was not raised Baptist. Uh, maybe that's why I can get along with other people. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but I wasn't raised Baptist. I'm a person who became a Baptist by choice. That's a little bit different. In other words, I was already an adult when I decided that I was going to be a Baptist. I see, Baptists loved the Bible. They were the ones who told me the story of, of Jesus. And um, I love the Bible too. In fact, I will tell you that I believe every word of the Bible. I will tell you that up front so that you know that even though um, I believe that God also can do everything he did in the Bible, he still can. Uh, Baptists put their faith in the scriptures that tell the stories of God's actions and his commands. Now, here's the story, folks. I will always be that type of Baptist. But I'm not sure I will be what Baptists want me to be. I can tell you that up front. Uh, I've been called a liberal by some Baptist in this area, in fact. Uh, And uh, that doesn't bother me because I didn't become a Baptist in order to be called a Baptist. And some of you are not Baptist, and that's okay with me. But the... uh, The thing is, is that I believe the scriptures. I want you to hear that up front. And I am afraid, I guess, of adopting a party line, especially when the party line may not adhere to the scriptures. You can see what what happens with the with the party line. Uh, you know, and I think that the way that it goes, you, maybe you don't know this, but the way that it goes, and I'm, I'm old enough now that it doesn't make any difference anymore, but what happens with these young guys is that they tell them that if you don't adopt the party line, if you don't come and say everything that we say, and you have to say that it is right, then we will never recommend you to a church, and you will never have the opportunities that you would have had if you had not adopted the party line. That's going to just tell you how it is working out there. And so, but, con- but conviction, true conviction will adopt this statement. It is that what you are is what counts and not what you call yourself. It is not where you think somebody else is going to help you get. It is dealing with God's word exactly as it is God's word. This morning in my quiet time, I was, I was reading Galatians 1.10, which Paul was asking, am I trying to please men or am I trying to please God? And he says, if I am not pleasing God, I am not a servant of Christ. And I looked at that and I said, isn't that appropriate for me today in terms of what I'm preaching? Because, you know, Baptists have traditionally done the work of God with the word of God by the power of God. That is almost exclusively true when has it not been true especially when baptists talk about money you see we've got to take the scriptures and we've got to take it in the context of the scripture we've got to take it into the context of the culture in order to understand what the scripture actually means but when it comes to money we seem to escape that and i will tell you that there is a huge difference between supernatural and superstitious And what we've done is, is that we have manipulated the scriptures in order to get them to say what we want them to say. See, it is supernatural when God acts. It's superstitious when we try to accomplish the supernatural on our own. God does supernatural things. We don't do supernatural things. 
What we do is we depend upon God. God does the supernatural things. And formulas, maxims, and any absolutes that, you know, either that by their own works or by maybe somehow they think that it will manipulate God is a superstition. What we really can't say is, I got this and I can do this in such a way that I can take the scripture and I can manipulate it in such a way that I can get God to do exactly what I want him to. That is something that I would call superstition. And too often in a church, especially in a Baptist church, the only time we ever talk about money is when we want more of it. It's not about teaching you how to deal with it. It's not about the real true stewardship. It's not really about, it's about we want more. That's, that's really the absolute truth. But superstition says you can get more. I can make you get more. In fact, it says. And so we tell people, you follow our superstition and then you can, you can actually have a whole lot more money. But let's take a look at how we can deal with money faithfully rather than superstitiously. First, I want to say this about money. Money is a necessary tool for our needs. You need money. Let's be honest. Let's not play a game here. And let's not say, you know what, you're supposed to live on on, uh, branch water and rabbit tracks. You're actually going to need money. You're going to need money, whether it is for a loaf of bread or a tank of gas or whatever else that is out there that you're going to need. You're going to need money. So that's the case. But where does that money come from? Well, a lot of people want to say, well, in Philippians chapter 419, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And what they are saying is, see, God will give you the money that you are actually going to need if you will just, kind of, you know, give money like the Philippians gave money. Now, that would be great if you didn't have to take that scripture in context. Let's look at that scripture in context. It's in verse 19 there. You see that? Chapter 4, verse 19. What is he talking about in chapter 4, verse 12? That's just seven verses before it. He says, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. And in in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What What can he do all things through him who strengthens me? In context, I know that when I am in hunger, I have the strength to continue on in hunger. When I'm in plenty, I have the strength to continue on in plenty. And when he gets down to the the verse Now, 19, what we want to say here is, oh, but then he's going to give a whole lot. Well, that's not what the context of the scripture actually talks about. See, I I said this just a moment ago. Superstition says, give like these Philippians have given and you'll receive like Paul tells the Philippians. But that wasn't Paul's experience, was it? I mean, right there, just a couple of verses. I mean, this is a letter. He didn't know he was writing uh, verse 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. He didn't know that. He's writing a letter. And he's writing this letter that is there. That is not Paul's experience. See, he's saying that God still supplies, but maybe not at the level you want. We take scripture for money and sometimes we use it very superstitiously. Let me give you another one. Psalm 37, 25. It says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And what that says, if you will just live the righteous life, you will have everything that you ever need and nobody's ever going to go hungry. But if I read the stories correctly on the internet currently, today in India, Malaysia, and Bangladesh, 
I see believers going hungry. And they're not going hungry because they didn't live a righteous life. They're going hungry because they're standing up for their faith in Christ amongst these other religions and they're not receiving the food because of their faith. So I look at that and I say, you know, am I going to take this superstitiously here? And say that this means that God is always going to supply every need that is out there in such a way that I will never go hungry again. Well, that doesn't fit, fit into the context of even our own culture. For the Bible often speaks in principles that are not absolutes. And we want to take them as absolutes when they're only principles. Let me give you a scripture that doesn't have anything to do with money and I'll just explain one of them to you. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I have heard this scripture preached, especially those parents that are, they've got the child that is away from the faith and is not coming close to the faith, and they're running away from the faith in every way. They'll say to that parent, say, Don't you worry, if you raised him right, he's going to come back to it. And so they wait year after year and decade after decade, and that child never comes back. And you know what the parents are saying? I must have done something wrong. I must not have raised them right somewhere. I don't know where it was, but it's all on me because they look at that scripture and they're using that as an absolute. They're using that as a formula. The principle is true, folks, but it is not magic. It doesn't steal the will of that child. Let's take this principle in mind. Now, I ask you a question. Don't answer out loud because I don't think you probably should. But is it possible to find a godly spouse in a bar? You know what the answer is? Yes. You understand that. Is it possible to find an ungodly spouse in a church? The answer is yes. It is, isn't it? See, but the principle remains true. The principle is you find somebody doing something that is righteous and you will find a righteous person. The principle is true even though it is not a formula and it is not a perfect situation. So when we look at God supplying our needs, God may be supplying our needs but not in the way that we define what our needs are. We may come along and say that's not the definition that I would use. And when we get Beyond that, we need to recognize money is dangerous. Money is a dangerous thing to have. You know, you think, no, I just need more and more and more of it. But money becomes dangerous, especially in our spiritual life, especially in our walk with God. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. What does it say? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. I'll say that so that I can, I can bring that up in a minute to, uh, for you. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, money exists in this, fig, uh, in this physical world. It is singularly a part of this world. Now, I don't exactly uh, know what cryptocurrency is, but I do know what regular money is, and it, it exists in this world. There will not be any of it in the eternal world that we're going to. There's not going to be any money there. Understand, that's, that's the situation. 
And what money does, money does not appeal to God's kingdom in terms of it. Uh, God's kingdom is a, is a place that you go where there's a boatload of money. It, it appeals to the flesh. See, money appeals to the flesh that values this world. That's what money actually does. When we talk about the lust of the eyes, we're talking about money. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That doesn't say, that says this, when we get into this world and it becomes more important than anything else, I'm going to tell you what, what you're going to find is the love of the world is, uh, the love of God is not in us. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The sinful nature or the flesh, it is named here, seeks the things of this world. And the desires of the eyes or the lust of the eyes, as it's been said before, is an insatiable desire for money and the possession that money provides. It provides, and, and when you have the lust of the, of the eyes, or, you know, the, uh, and, and it becomes the desires of the eyes. In other words, I want more that I can see. I want to have more possessions. I want to have more money, and I want to be able to see those things. And, I, and, and, and that becomes a goal in your life. It is an addiction. For an addiction to money will control the person who has it. An addiction to money is absolutely going to control the person that has it. And it will cause them to do what? According to uh, 1 Timothy. It will cause them to fall into snares. It will plunge people into ruin and destruction. It will cause people to lose their senses. It will cause people to wander away from the faith. It will cause many pains. And like every addiction, it has no end. There is no end to it whatsoever. But superstitiously... Many preachers tell their congregations how they can get God to give them more money. And in some cases, I've heard preachers telling their congregations that God wants them to be rich. What did Timothy, what did Paul tell Timothy? He said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. You realize what he just said to him, to them. And yet he says, he says, you want money. And the preachers are telling you how you can get money. That's very superstitious to me. Money will not keep you out of heaven, but the desire for money will keep you out of heaven. The money will not keep you from fulfilling God's, all that God has for you, but the desire it will. But many people want to believe these preachers. They want to believe what the preachers are saying, and they will do whatever the preacher says in order to get what the preacher says. They will tell them, you take your bills out and you lay them on a table and you hit your hands over those, those uh, bills and you claim that God is going to pay your bills. You take this special prayer cloth that I send to you. You put it over your wallet and you say, oh God, I know you can fill it more than it has in it already and I need more money. Or I love the better one is that if you'll just send me a hundred dollars, God will send you a thousand that one works even better. See, people want a supernatural supply. They want something from God. But they were willing to accept a superstitious supply. They are willing to accept that even though they want a supernatural. And what will happen if we have this addiction? We will start worshiping money. For money can be worshipped. It can be worshipped. Luke chapter 16 verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now when we get to the Ten Commandments, 
And we get to that first commandment. What is that first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. (laughs) Wait a minute. You can't, that means money can't be in there before God? Absolutely not. Now, what are the essential things that we believe about God? Well, I believe that we think and know that God loves us with an everlasting love. I think we know that God is all-powerful. We know that God knows everything. We know that God is always present. We actually don't want God to be those things. Because people want a God they can control. And when we get the truth of who God really is, we know that he cannot be controlled. And I have seen so many people think that they have, if they do the right things, then God is going to make sure nothing bad happens to them. I've seen people that are going through some kind of tragedy and they'll say, but didn't I go to church? Didn't I serve? And yet this bad thing happened to me. And I say to them, I'll be very honest, I've said this to people. Did you really think that you were so good that you could keep bad things from happening to you? That's superstition, folks. That's superstition. Because we will go through the the bad things just like everybody else. The difference is, is that we have a God that will strengthen us through those things. So people seek to have Money, which is a God that they can control. They will praise it. They will do whatever it takes to get it. They will keep it safe. They will keep it from God. And they will make it central in their lives and push God to another place. One of the people very famously in the Bible that worshipped money was was Judas. Judas worshipped money. Realize that. It said it, when, when there was a, a lady who comes in and, and she pours this, you know, this expensive perfume on top of, of Jesus. You know what Judas said? We could take that and give it to the poor. We could take that and give it to the poor. But was that his motivation and reality for that? Did he, did he worship Jesus or did he worship the money? For it says in John twelve six. That he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. This would have been a great thing. We get a whole year's wages that I can put into the money bag. People won't even notice what I've taken. This is where Judas was. You see, he put money before the Lord Jesus because he complained about the expensive perfume that was poured on Jesus. Because if he truly worshipped Jesus, nothing would have been too much to have poured upon Jesus. Do you understand? Nothing out there would have been too great. He would have been able to say, that's very appropriate. We worship Jesus. When we were renovating this sanctuary... I heard people, you, know, you have to understand, if you ever say anything, it always gets back to the pastor, so you might as well tell me up front. But then you know, I heard uh, people say, I didn't hear them myself, but people told me, said, well, we don't need to do that because we don't need a nice sanctuary to worship in. You know, I want you to know, folks, I didn't do this so that we'd have a nice place to worship in. I, I had, uh, we do this because we want to honor God. That's the reality of it. You see, well, what happens is, is that is that when people are worshiping money than anything else, they, they will manipulate around to make it sound like it shouldn't be worship. Don't put that expensive perfume on Jesus' head because I could use that money. 
Worshiping money is superstitious. The love of money cannot save you. The love of money will not be an eternity. The love of money will make your life a mess. You can recognize the worship of money when you seek the justification against money being used for the Lord's glory. They will worship the money and not the Lord's glory. Superstition seeks to manipulate money. And by this time, it should be your conclusion. Another verse that people want to use in order to get more money is Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, it's very easy to speak to superstitious people about money. There were people that say, well, that means that when you give, you're going to get a whole lot more. That's like buying a lottery ticket that's guaranteed to win. And they use this scripture as a proof text. (laughs) But when you put it in context, the context of this scripture is mercy. (laughs) This This is a situation. Jesus was contrasting the, the actions of the Pharisees and the, with righteous actions. He was speaking about giving mercy to people and receiving an abundance of mercy. This is not an attempt to manipulate God, to act in some superstitious way, to get something from God. And yet, I've heard this preached this way. I've heard it preached. This is about mercy. See, superstition does not care about the context. Superstition is looking for a secret means of getting what it ultimately wants. It will scour the scriptures, looking through them night and day to manipulate them any way possible. And in truth, the person hopes nobody ever looks to see what the context is. In the Bible code book that was published in 1997, which was a bestseller, by the way, it told that... You could take the, the Bible and, and you could skip so many letters and continue to skip so many letters until it began to you know, spell words. And then you could take those words and you could look back at history and you could see how the Bible had predicted this would happen. You can do that with any large book, by the way. You can do that with a dictionary. You could do that with anything that is out there and make that happen. Uh, you could take War and Peace, you know, which is a pretty thick book. And you can make that happen. That's a superstition that is there. But people want to believe in superstition. And they want to believe in being able to manipulate and get money in the worst way. But people of faith use money by faith. They use money. Now, let me give you a scripture that is talking about money. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Stick that in your mind right now. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Like I said, this scripture is talking about money. But we need to also be very careful to understand it in the context of the society that it was set in. This was an agricultural society. 
This was a metaphor that was given because everyone knew that if you don't plant it in the ground, you're not going to get it. Everybody knew that. They knew that you cannot possibly reap a big crop without planting a good-sized crop. But it was never a guarantee for saying that you keep sowing more and you'll keep getting more. See, a multitude of things can happen. If you know anything about agriculture, you know that you can get no rain. It doesn't matter how much grain you put in the ground. You come up with nothing. There can be a flooding. The flooding comes, and I know that we've had this situation happen on the farm, is that you plant your seed, the flood comes in, and it washes all the seed away. You don't get any crop out of it that way. You can have a fire. It can catch your crop on fire and burn it uh, to the ground, and you get nothing out of it. Or even enemies can come in and steal your crop. Now, the principle is still true. You sow bountifully, or you cannot reap bountifully, But it is not some superstitious way that we can get God to give us more. It's not about that. It's about that principle that that is God. So what does it say? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. At the heart, at the very level of where we are, our heart needs to be right before God. And giving, when somebody has a giving problem, they don't have a money problem in the sense. They have a heart problem. They have a sense that they're holding it back. Their heart is holding it back. For the heart that is centered in the spirit will not give in to the flesh. That's what happens with the heart that is centered into the, the spirit. And so when you, you have that going on, the person will act a certain way. And by the way, folks... People can have their hearts changed. Their heart can be renovated. Their heart can be grown in such a way that that they're walking with the Lord like they've never walked with the Lord before. But it's not about what the preacher tells you to give. It's not about what they're trying to get you to do by some kind of manipulation, some kind of superstition. It's about what's in your heart. See, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, when, they, when the, this guy was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment that is out there? It says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now understand, it starts with the heart there, with all your heart. For the mind will follows the heart. The mind follows the heart and we, we end up doing what we do because what we have in our heart. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So then when we give and it comes from our heart, it's not because we've been compelled. It's not because the preacher has told us how evil we are because we didn't tithe or we didn't come up to a certain level or, or, or that we don't actually have any faith because we won't give God what you know. It's about where we are in our heart. And what we do is we have peace with God in our heart and we don't have to go, when that happens, folks, you don't have to feel guilty no matter what the preacher says because you've done what God has wanted you to do because you've done it from your heart so you don't feel compelled into this. See, the flesh will seek to prosper and sustain me in this world. But when we give it with our heart and our heart is right before God, that's the spirit within us. The spirit seeks the kingdom of God. The spirit seeks the kingdom. And the principle of that comes true. 
The principle is this, Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Remember, there's a difference between supernatural and superstition. When you enter into a state of obedience in your heart, you can experience the supernatural, but it won't be because of manipulation. You will enter into a state of faith. See, faith, contrary to what a lot of people think, is not failing to believe in miracles. You know, it is not trying to make miracles either. Faith is walking with God, and sometimes you will see miracles. That's what happens. Several weeks ago, we had a funeral here. And the family was going to have a reception for everybody that came. So they didn't think very many people were going to come. And so they told the people, the caterer, that they said, plan for 30 people. 120 people showed up. Okay. And that makes our ladies that work back there when they're doing the uh, things, getting things ready for the reception, it really makes them very nervous. Because they know there's 120 in there and there's supposed to be food for 30. And they know what's coming with the 30. They've been told that. Well, not all 120 went to the reception, but about 80 did. And that's not a re- unrealistic number that is there. See, the miracle wasn't that the food was multiplied. You want to tell you what the miracle was? The miracle was the caterer sent more food than they'd asked for. Do you understand what the family took food home? After everybody ate. The miracle was is that before we knew how many people were going to show up, the caterer showed up with more food than the family ordered. The miracle is that they only paid for 30 people. You understand that? See, that's the miracle. So no one manipulated a thing. God is just like that, isn't he? See, I know that God provides, but I'm going to tell you up front, I, am, I refuse to be superstitious about it. I refuse to think that I can manipulate God into giving me more. I just don't think that is godly, and I don't think my heart would agree, agree with that. So I would rather go hungry... And maybe I need to go hungry sometimes, if you ever see me get on the scales. I need to go hungry, rather than try to force God for anything. How about you? Let's pray.